Pylon and Sticks, a former NFL executive who brings unique inside perspective and content on all levels of football. Guests will include NFL Pro Football Hall of Famers, former players, national journalists, and conversations with members of the cigar industry. Your host, Tony Softly. Welcome to Pylon and Sticks. I'm Tony Softly. You can follow us on Twitter at Pylon and Sticks and Instagram Pylon and Sticks. Joining me now is a young man that was drafted by the Buffalo Bills in the second round in 1994, played five years in the NFL. In uh, 1999, he joined the Seattle Seahawks scouting staff. In 2003, I hired him at the Carolina Panthers, where he worked until 2007. And then in 2009, uh, he became a part of the NFL media. I'm very proud of his accomplishments, but not even surprised about uh, what he's achieved thus, thus far. Joining me now is Bucky Brooks, NFL.com. Buck, how you doing, man? Man, I'm good, Tom. How's everything? Oh, man, I'm, I'm like a volleyball in the ocean. I'm bobbing and weaving, trying to stay away from this <laughs> damn uh, COVID-19, man. <laughs> yeah, man, it's, uh, it's one of the craziest things that I've ever experienced. Um, to kind of see the world pause the way that it has has been amazing. And, look, obviously a lot of people have suffered uh, at the hands of the virus, um, and that is always heartbreaking. And then to think about sports and all this, it is an unprecedented set of time and circumstances, but I guess the good thing is maybe football's around the corner, it seems like. So that's good. Well, let's hope so. Uh, you know, I, I keep, I read every day. I get up, I'm on my phone, I'm on my iPad, I'm on my computer. I'm trying to see where this is going to go. And I read just the other day that the NFL is going to spend $75 million in testing. Uh, is That's 120 tests per day. Correct me if I'm wrong, by a third party. Now, does that include players, mm-hmm. staff, coaches, everybody, or how does that break down? Well, I think it has to break down with including everybody. So now we're just talking about the super skinny staff cutting down to 80. I mean, that gives you like 40 more tests that you can use. I think that has to be the essential staff. Uh, I would think there would be your coaches, your personnel people, um, and all the medical personnel with the people that are around it. Yeah, so look, I think the one thing that we're seeing is people are being nimble. People are being very, very skinny when it comes to who they're allowing to kind of enter the quote-unquote bubble. So, I mean, it's different. It's definitely a different experience of training camp, unlike anything that I've ever seen. Yeah, there's no question. And, and having worked in the league myself for 15 years and you as a player and a scout, uh, you know the NFL training uh, staffs aren't that big. I, I think there's a hit, one head athletic trainer and three assistants, maybe mm-hmm. four. Um, how are they going to handle this outbreak if it does happen within their clubs? You know, Tony, I think it's one of those things, and I think that's why they're still negotiating, trying to have uh, a plan. Because how do you have a plan for this? Like, this is something that we've never seen. And so I think you're putting a lot of stress and pressure on your athletic staff, your medical staff, to understand uh, the protocols, to build and establish protocols for how they want to handle these situations. How do you quarantine? How do you quarantine people who are have positive tests but are asymptomatic? How do you handle those who have positive tests but are symptomatic? How do you handle it when it's in a room and you have someone who has uh, had a positive test but he was ex- he exposed himself to other players? I mean, there are a lot of things that are at play, and I think as you talked about keeping it fluid, they. They have to keep it fluid as they're going through the process, but you certainly have to try and put some standards in place for how you're going to deal with these situations. You know, I was listening to your podcast the other day, and again, you can hear Bucky uh, with uh, Daniel Jeremiah on Move the Sticks. 
you talked about pruning the trees. Explain to uh, my listeners uh, what you mean by pruning the trees. I call it removing the fat, but talk to me a little bit about <laughs> moving yeah. from uh, from 90 players to 80 players on a roster. Hey, Tom, we've been in this business long enough to know that when we come to camp with 90 players, all 90 aren't created equal. And some of those guys at the bottom, they are guys that look, we know that we're hoping to get through camp. We're hoping they get through camp healthy so they can provide us enough depth to rest some of the frontline players and give them an opportunity, but it's not a legitimate opportunity where we think they're going to legitimately make the squad. And so there's some of that in play. And I think what you're doing is you're seeing people eliminate some of those long shots and you're trying to keep it to people that seriously have an opportunity to make the team. You know, we talked about the evaluation phase and, and you and I have been through that in the personnel uh, departments uh, you know, evaluating uh, the veterans at the end of the season, you come in and say, okay, this guy, we want to keep, this guy's not going to make it. We need to replace this guy. This guy's going to be a cap casualty when it comes to camp and, and evaluating the veterans. You really know who you, who you want. Like you just said, it, there's only 10 or 12 guys that really have, have that tight window of making that squad. Correct. Yeah. Tell me like you, you, you know it because like, when you go to camp and you have 80, and let's just say they have the expanded practice squad where you have 16, and I think they bumped the active roster up to like 55 or so. So that means 71 guys that you're talking about. So there are nine guys that you're going to have to remove from the squad. We know by doing the film work ahead of time in camp, we understand how we feel about those veterans and which ones are in jeopardy going in. We also know the guys that we drafted, and we drafted them with an idea of what their role would be as rookies and as second and third year players. And so now you want to put them in competitive environments and see how do the young guys look. Because it's not necessarily a question of the veteran guys. We've seen them playing games. It's how can we project the young guys? How do they practice? How do they perform in those simulated game situations? Do we think they'll be able to maintain their level in game? Do we trust them enough to remove a veteran to put them in play? That's what we're trying to figure out. So the critical part is the rookies and the young guys that we're hoping are ready for bigger roles. Those are the ones who have to get the long look. The veterans, we kind of know where they're at. You know, it's um, having them on the field is is going to be limited. I think what is it? Twenty one days of conditioning practices. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. Ten padded uh, practices. How, how do they get the, – they're getting the mental reps. How do they get the physical reps? How do they catch up to the missing that time on the field? I don't think they can catch up right away. Like, I think Tony is, I is, is one of those where you're working hand-in-hand with the coaching staff, and the coaching staff has to understand exactly where they are. If they're a really smart coaching staff, I think they simplify it. Not saying that they dumb it down, but I think they, they try and stick to the core parts of who they are offensively, defensively. Uh, they try to give the young guys the best opportunity to understand the basics, to get them on the field and play. Or they take another route. They take those young players and they create special packages for the young players to be able to get on the field and play, uh, whether that's a pass rusher. Uh, at Carolina, obviously, we didn't have to do this with Julius Peppers because he was talented and could go right away. But if you have a pass rusher who is a rookie who may not be able to do everything in the, the defense, Hey, on third downs, he comes in in this package. He comes down in nickel package, uh, the sub package. This is where he lives for maybe the first quarter to half of the season until he's ready for more. I think your imagination and creativity is going to have to really be tested in terms of 
how can I get the best players on the field and not worry about do they know the entire playbook, what do they know, and can we utilize that to get them on the field. You know, I, I, the thing that bothers me, Buck, and you know more as a player and, and also as a personnel guy as well, is that, um, you know, having the players maintain that focus, that mental edge, you know, with all the disturbances, all the differences uh, in the, for the rookies, it won't be any different. This will be something new for them. But for the veterans, how do you keep those guys focused, man? How do you how do they how do you keep them in line mentally to exactly what's going on step for step, even though it is different for them as well? Look, that's definitely the biggest challenge. I'm telling you, Tom, we're going to be able to separate, as my dad said, we're going to separate the goat from the sheep. This camp. <laughs> Meaning, we're going to see which, which coaches and personnel staff are really the tier one staff. Exactly. Because they're going to have plans. They're going to have a process to make sure they keep their players engaged. They're going to have a process to evaluate their players. And they're not going to have these missteps on a recap of player because we like them. They're going to, look, trim the fat, keep the good players, and they're going to find a way to keep them engaged. I think for the players, the way you motivate them and the way you keep them engaged is, look, you still got to make it a very competitive environment. And in spite of the pandemic, there were guys that were drafted high in some of those spots. You have to put those young players in situations where they legitimately can compete for those spots. Now, those young guys got to meet you halfway by knowing what to do, but their athleticism and explosiveness and talent that's going to put pressure on the veteran guys. Now it comes down to knowledge, wisdom, and expertise. That's going to be the deciding factor. But those veteran guys should still feel threatened if you drafted well and if you brought in good, competitive free agents, undrafted and street free agents, guys that have enough talent that it shines in practice. That's where you're going to see the pressure that is being able to ramp up on the veteran. Yeah, I totally agree. Time and anticipation with the quarterbacks, wide receivers, and tight end in the passing game, that will come. Uh, mesh points with the running back and offensive lineman, trying to find that whole relationship, et cetera, will come as well with practicing. Tackling skills and chase and pursuit drills, uh, you know, that, you know, again, will come. They can uh, they can get the mental reps all day they want, but, you know, when it talks about uh, recouping the physical side of the game, Buck, um, do you think that's going to be automatic? you think that's going to be missing? Uh, usually when the when they say, okay, the ball's kicked off and the lights are on, people are knocking the hell out of each other. It should not change. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think it changed a little bit because, like, it's only, like, the funny thing is, like, we sat there, right? Like, we have these high hopes on players and all of that. We look at them in OTAs and offseason. We're rubbing our hands together like, man, this guy's going to be a good – Good player. And then we see the first preseason game. Boom. And our opinions may change rapidly based on what it looks like when the lights come on. Without that, man, we can try and simulate it, but we don't even have joint practices which would give us the ramp up in intensity. Yes. So now it's a little more subjective. You're projecting a little more on what a player can be. And what I think is going to happen, the first three or four weeks of the regular season, it's going to be like the preseason. You're going to see these drastic lineup shifts and changes when we finally see guys play. And so we won't be able to simulate the physicality in the game-like conditions. We have to be really, really on it. And I think you have to make decisions quickly when you figure out a guy is not quite ready for the role that we may have envisioned uh, during the offseason. Okay, let's move past the pandemic. Let's just hope that football is going to be uh, played at not only the college level, but uh, also professionally as well. 
Buck, you know how I do it, man. I'm going to put you on the pylon at Sticks Hot Seat. You worked with me in the at the Carolina Panthers. You've been with me in the draft room. I fire some questions at you and, and, and want a quick response like you were you were a scout at one time. And uh, Tom Brady or Cam Newton, who's going to have a more successful season? Cam Newton. Cam Newton will have a more successful year because this is the best coaching that he's ever received. No disrespect to Ron Rivera and the staff that they had at Carolina. The one thing that you and I know, because we had our heart broken at the hands of the Patriots. Yes. Bill Belichick is going to take Cam Newton. He's going to challenge him to be at his best when it comes to attention to detail. They're going to craft an offense around him. He's 31 years old, and people have thrown this guy away. But I'm saying, he is the same age as Taysom Hill. And if we're having parties for Taysom Hill, I don't think that you can dismiss Cam Newton bouncing back and coming back with a vengeance. I also think that Tom Brady, Tom Brady showed signs of slippage last year. Even though he has a better supporting cast, man, all the time is undefeated. At 43 years old, I just don't know if over a 16-game season he can play at a high level consistently. Yeah, I totally agree with you on Tom Brady. Cam Newton, only thing that bothers me there, Buck, is you know how you know how it is, and you mentioned him. He's, it's Bill Belichick. He has a system. It's a team system. Cam is a lot about me. It's about I a, a lot of the time. And will he be able to fall in line in the Belichick, you know, like a good little soldier. That's the only thing that bothers me. Yes, it's our tone. And, and here's the thing, because if, man, when we had this in the in the meeting room uh, during the draft, what I would do is I would pull up a coach, Tony. You know, when he left Florida and he was dismissed and went to Blinn Junior College, you know what happened? He played at his best. When he left Blinn and went to Auburn and everyone had all this controversy around him, he was able to lock in and play at his best. I don't know if for a, a sustained period of time if Cam Newton can play at that level in New England, meaning like a four- or five-year run. But I do believe this year we will get the best version of Cam Newton because he's motivated. He's not being paid a lot. He wants to reclaim his status as one of the top players. And I think if you give that Cam Newton to Bill Belichick, he'll find a way to get him to play at, his, at a high level. Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, who's going to get that Super Bowl first? That's what they're looking at. The next question I have for you, Buck, top five running backs in the NFL today, regardless of scheme. Tone, I lost you for a minute. Yeah, no, top five running backs in the NFL today, regardless of scheme. Woo! Man, that's a tough one. I would say – You know how I bring it, man. Man, Ezekiel Elliott has to be in the conversation. Christian McCaffrey has to be there. Yes. Dalvin Cook uh, will occupy a spot there. Um, it's tough because, look, I love what Nick Chubb brings to the table. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would like more in the past game, but I think he has to be in there. And, look, man, the outlier for me is Derrick Henry. In normal situations, I would be like, ah, I don't know. He's one-dimensional. But, man, sometimes if you're a fastball pitcher and no one can hit the fastball, there's no reason to have another pitch. And he's a big <laughs> physical runner. And he just gets it done. Man, I, look, I've kind of fallen in love with what he does with the Tennessee Titans. I think he has to be in the conversation. Yeah, there's no question about it. A big man definitely needs to be in the conversation. Uh, top five, uh, let's see, Power Five in the NFL, um, both of those. Uh, should they cancel the season, man? Is this is this potentially about the loss of revenue? Is that what's driving this? Because the, the surges of COVID-19 are, are growing. Should they cancel this even, Power Five or, or NFL? Should they cancel? I think the NFL should keep their season because they're professionals. We expect them to be professionals. They have enough money to be able to kind of protect their players. We've seen baseball come back. We've seen the NBA come back. College football is a different story. 
uh, college football, 18 to 22, uh, you're talking about kids who aren't, quote, unquote, employees. And you're having colleges that don't have students on campus, but we're expecting them to have football games. What kind of message are we seeing when we stand under the guise of student athletes and caring about the kids beyond that? I just don't know, Son. And it, it would be tough. It would be tough for me to uh, have my kids go and play in that environment when we can't protect them. And what we're going to see is we're going to see which of these coaches and which of these universities really care about the kid and when they care about the bottom line. It's a tough one. I just don't know how the Power Five is going to be able to go where we have teams like in, in the Pac-12. UC Berkeley has said, hey, we can't bring the students back. It's a different world. Yes. It's just a different world. I, I just don't know how this is going to be able to go off without a hitch. Well, Russell Wilson says, hey, my wife's pregnant. What are you guys going to do to protect me? What am I bringing home to my family? You know, I, I think that's the bottom line. I think the NFL and the NFLPA are trying to figure out the protocols and make sure that their players are safe, but more importantly, the family as well. So uh, the next question I have for you, Buck, is uh, high school conferences are canceling some of their seasons. How does this affect college recruiting? Look, man, it has to affect it, right, because you have the early signing days. Now, most teams have already identified the guys that they're going to sign. They signed those guys in December. The thing where it changes, We've seen so many guys become early enrollees, meaning they graduate from high school in December, they enroll in their new uh, college, they enroll in college in January, they begin to practice with those teams, maybe doing bowl preparation, and they go through a spring ball before they actually play. Well, now you're going to have some of these five-star players who have to make decisions on whether they play their final high school season or do they go to college and begin to start the process of playing and college is going to change because we're going to see some of these five stars bypass their final high school season so they can go kind of get their what career started when it comes to being a collegiate. You know, I had Eric Metcalf, uh, the legend for the Cleveland Browns, on last week, and uh, I asked him this question. This would be your last question as well. Uh, if you were a player today, would you opt out or would you play with the coronavirus? You know, so I think my answer would probably depend on my station in life. Uh, if I'm one of those top players, I'm a I'm a Russell Wilson where I've made a ton of money, I got money in the bank, then I may sit out depending on my family situation. But if I'm a guy that has been a journeyman that's kind of always been on the bubble, I have to play because this is a livelihood. I have to kind of put it on the line for the sake of my family because I look, I, I have to go and get the check. I have to do it. And it's unfortunate when you have to make decisions based on money. But I think the overwhelming majority of NFL players even though the salary looks great on the bottom line, they're having to go because they're not only responsible for the immediate family, but they have some others that they're responsible for. And so I think I would go play. I would try and take the precautions to make sure that I protect myself. But I think at the end of the day, I'm going to go play. Yeah, NFL, uh, one of the reporters uh, nationally just broke that uh, the NFL has agreed to wear shields. Now, is that is that a – you know, we see the, the regular shields that they have up top, and most of that's for guys that have glasses – but is this a shield that is completely all the way underneath the face mask where it's totally covered? Do we know that yet? Uh, so the, the, the prototypes that they put out from Oakley are those that, Tony, if you can imagine the face mask right in front of the mouth. Yes. They now have these clear plastic shields that have holes in them, but it's restricted in terms of the exchange of bodily fluids, the breath and those things. And so the helmet won't look like a motorcycle helmet, but Inside of those face masks, those bars, they will be protected with like a little uh, clear mask that has 
some some holes that you can breathe, but it protects the exchange of fluid. I'm envisioning a RoboCop type helmet in, in the future. <laughs> <laughs> it's coming. I mean, not quite, but I, I am wondering. Like, look, I, we see these uh, motorcycle helmets, we see these Formula One and NASCAR races. Yes. Uh, with all those helmets, I, I wonder if it don't, we don't get to a point where we have to do that. But I do believe that they had to find a way to protect the players. I think Oakley and some of the other companies have tried to be on the cutting edge when it comes to that. I think, look, I applaud the NFL for making it mandatory for these guys to put these shields on. You've been listening to Bucky Brooks from the NFL Network or and uh, NFL.com. You can follow him in, uh, on Twitter at Bucky Brooks and also listen to him on his podcast with Daniel Jeremiah on Move the Sticks. Buck, I appreciate your time, man, as always. Hey, man, thanks so much, Tony. Thanks for having me on. You got it, brother.